Let's go. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. Another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Why is that so funny? <laughs> you come in hot. That's the way I he always come in. He came in with some in. energy. You come in hot. That's how I always say it. You went into that intro like Jimmy Johnson at the Roval at the last turn. That's how you went into that. Oh, a little I, out will, of, I will hop it and destroy it. little out of control. Okay. <laughs> but you got it back together. Well, <laughs> we got pretty interesting show. Lots to talk about. Wild weekend. It was. Mike? You were there. I all was. Of it. Yeah, I was so there all of it. Tag this team. Will, this will make that show even more interesting. Yeah, I mean, and it didn't just include Dover. We were in New York. We went to Pittsburgh one night. That's that right. was a lot of fun. And then the, the races were uh, incredible. So we have a lot to talk about for sure. Let's get started. Let's do it. The Dale Jr. Download. The Exhausted Studio. Download starts now. All right, Mike, so uh, you mentioned it, man. We were in New York, Pittsburgh, Dover, doing a lot of different things. Let's go ahead and start it with the, with the trip to New York City. Mm. We are uh, right on the doorstep of releasing this book, Racing to the Finish. My story uh, details the uh, my experience with concussions from 2012 all the way through the end of my career. It details my rehabilitation, meeting and working with Mickey Collins at the United Pittsburgh Medical Center. We went up to New York and did Dan Patrick, which was pretty cool. Yes. Love doing Dan Patrick because Dan Patrick is, in my opinion, one of the best interviewers that I've ever came across. He's a guy that I think I tend to want to learn as much as I can from, and he actually is in the NBC family, so I've had a chance to spend a lot of time around him. Yeah, if I can pull from him some things that I think he does really well, if it's if it's possible to add that to what I do, um, you should do it right now and like ask Mike Davis a real hard pressing question. No, you know, that's, but that's not what he does. <laughs> that, that's not what Dan does. It that's is not conversational. Stuff. The great thing about Dan is that he will ask such a short question, but it is exactly the right thing that kicks you into having to you know you he he asks this sort. I don't know what, you know what his. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he asks a short question, and it almost forces you to elaborate. But it's an inviting his his scent, his sort of aura and tone is inviting. Boy, I mean, in 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 a few in a few seconds, you feel like you're sitting down with somebody you can trust that that really likes you and wants to know exactly what he's asking. Like he's genuinely curious himself, and he has a. Uh, I'm sure he has notes and does his homework on things, but as the interview goes, he kind of pulls from the answer to go to the next question. You know, and he, he's not afraid to say, oh, really, that part of the answer is interesting. Tell me about that. And it's it's so cool because his questions are really so short. He, he, and here was Thursday's example. We got caught, and this is saying something in New York, because we'd been going to New York for a long time, and we had an incredible time getting through traffic. We were there probably an hour and 40 minutes from the airport, Ugh. and it made us a little bit late. And so, uh, and of course, we'd been letting the Dan Patrick Show guys know, hey, yeah. you know, we're struggling getting through the tunnel, this whole thing. Anyways, we get in there, and so we're, you know, in a hurry, and we sit down, and Dale sits down, and the interview starts, and Dan Patrick's like, what do you like driving in traffic? Yeah. You do well in traffic? How, you know, and it's just something like that, and it's like a perfect question in the moment to get us started, mm-hmm. and then off we're rolling. Yeah. Very short. Was Mike sitting there cursing? The whole time? No. In, during traffic? No. I could see Mike oh, in no, New York no, traffic no, just no, being no. really no, I pissy. Couldn't. No, 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 no. I wouldn't do but that the, because then I would be getting Dale Jr. off to a bad start. <laughs> yeah. No, for real. I mean, like, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need that anxiety in his life uh, <laughs> on a back seat of a car. The, the job that 
the position that he has, Dan Patrick has today, is so perfect for him. And so I really admire the guy, look up to him, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Then we went to Rachel Ray. So um, Rachel Ray is a race fan, NASCAR fan. Really? Yeah. Okay. Benadale Jr. fan. Uh, when we've done a lot of charitable initiatives over the years, surprise, surprise, coming through the doors, a donation from Rachel Ray. As a matter of fact, Rachel Ray has been on this show. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Back when we had the Reaction Theater segment, uh huh. she called in to Reaction Theater. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So great friend of ours, and um, so it's fun to be on her show for the, I think, second time I've done her show. Yeah. And we talked about the book, obviously the whole reason to be there. The other thing that we did that was really, really cool, do you want to save that to your white flag? No, I don't no, want to no, screw up your white flag. No, no, no. Okay, so. Go ahead and talk about it. But, yeah. but but the important thing is is that this show hasn't aired yet. It comes out on October 16th, which is next week. So this is something, whatever he says, we're, we're building up to next yeah. week. You'll get to watch it. <laughs> so the Rachel Ray show did a little homework and brought in a fan of NASCAR and a fan of mine, and we surprised the hell out of this guy. So I'll leave it at that. I really, really enjoyed what we did. And then we got to spend a little time back after the sh- you know after my segment backstage talking to them a little bit and getting to know them a little more. So that was uh, that was an additional surprise that I didn't even know was happening till we got to the show. We oh, went so there. you weren't even really briefed on it. That's cool. Uh, we went there to talk about the book, and then uh, Rachel Ray had this great surprise for this for this fan that was there, and for me to be a part of that was a lot of fun. So I would tune in to see that. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I thought New York was a success. We're going to go back to New York in a couple in a in a couple days to continue to promote the book even more on a lot more diff- uh, media outlets. And then we've got a L.A. trip before Phoenix to where we'll be there for a couple days to promote the book as well. Yeah, hope and ho- the book's doing great. Going back to the original uh, purpose for doing the book, to help Mickey and his team to raise awareness for the United Pittsburgh Medical Center and what they do and uh, to help people who are suffering from concussions or if you know someone who's going through mm. some issues and they're having trouble getting the right help or they're struggling with their rehabilitation and not making any headway, they should probably call up Mickey and try to schedule an appointment to go up there and see him. I promise in one or two visits, you will have the tools you need Mm -hmm. to fight and win. And you can go to the University of Pittsburgh Sports Medicine Program website, and the phone number is on there. Yep. Dr. Mickey Collins is who Dale's referring to. And you know what, Dale, and I I asked this question to you, seriously want to hear your answer. Have you been surprised just in the past month or two months since we've been talking about the book about how many people have sort of come out of the woodwork and just said, I've needed help or, uh, you know, I've gone and saw Dr. Collins or anything like that? Have you been surprised by how how the reception has been on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, speaking of Mickey, we went Friday to Pittsburgh to an event that supports the United Pittsburgh Medical Center that was celebrating the work that they do there in celebrating Mickey. So when I've been on the phone with Mickey for the past couple of weeks trying to talk about getting to the, getting to this event with him and supporting him, he's been telling me every time he's like, "Hey, you wouldn't have no you have no idea." Every week, one two people come in. We ask them how they found us, how they figured, you know, how they got here, and they'll say from something they saw that Dale did on or that I did on either social media or whatever. Mm. Various. I mean, I've talked and been open about my concussions mm. for a long time now. And he says that it's sending people to see him every week. Uh, he said the book will even have a more profound effect on that. That's the whole purpose of the book. And um, I feel indebted to Mickey for helping me. You know, when somebody does something so prof- so so important and gives you functionality and, and quality of living back, you're in debt to them for the rest of your life. And I told Mickey, I said, hey, 
anytime you're doing something, he has asked me to come talk at certain things and, and, and be an example, I guess, an advocate for his research and rehabs. Uh, he's asked me to do that in, in certain times, and, and this was another example of that this Friday when we went up there to Pittsburgh for the Steelers event. And uh, I said, hey, man, anytime you got that stuff going on, call me. I will get there. I don't care where I'm at or what I'm doing. I want to be around you, and I want to help you. I want to help people understand what you're doing, show people what's possible for them. You know, whatever I can do, use me, tell me, keep me in the loop. And, um, you know, he has used me in the past, and he called me up and said, hey, man, come on. I, I got this deal in Pittsburgh for the Steelers. They have this fashion show to raise money, and it directly – supports this hospital mm -hmm. and their research and so me and you flew up there friday after um we got done working with uh with nbc at the racetrack in dover and uh went on stage talked a little bit about mickey and his team and what they've accomplished uh, for me personally thanked him on behalf of all the patients we got to meet some pittsburgh steelers players we got to meet the owner of the team and his wife great folks very gracious yep we got to um Meet some legends. Franco. Franco Harris. That's awesome. Uh, oh. The Immaculate Reception. Uh, everybody's know, everybody knows Franco Harris uh, from that, but he was an amazing player. And um, Mel Blount, who was a cornerback for the yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers. And, I mean, these guys are huge people. I, I, I knew that uh, – I know that the NFL guys, the guys that play the game today are giants. I mean, you stand next to all these guys, pretty much, pretty much the whole team was there. We stand around these guys. I mean, they're all foot, foot and a half taller than you, probably 150 pounds bigger than you. And you wonder if that's always been the case. And meeting Mel and and um, Franco, yeah, they're yeah, big. big. They're dudes. just as big. Right. Tomlinson, the coach, he looks like he could play right now. Yeah. A guy's in great shape. He's he's pretty big. How big is Ben? This is the quarterback. Ben, yeah. I mean, Ben's huge. Yeah. Ben, got to talk to Ben for a minute. We have some uh we have some people that we both know, acquaintances, uh super everybody was just really nice. So it was a great great experience for me and awesome to see Mickey and and, and I actually got to see his whole staff that worked with me directly during my concussion re uh, rehabilitation. Good to see those folks really out of the office. Hadn't mm -hmm. really ever been around them when they're not wearing their white coats. That was deep. Yeah, so seeing them talking to them, me being in a great place personally and professionally in my life, sort of a uh an example of their their efforts and work well, that was a great experience for me i meant to tell you that it, that was sort of like a fun little reunion that i noticed it was. Uh, and we've I, I completely glossed over that but when you walked up the way they received you because everybody was sort of sitting around it was a, like kind of a reception thing before yeah. the event started so they were drinking a beer and whatever and i couldn't believe how they, they turned around it was like uh their, their long lost prodigal son has oh, returned yeah. and uh, that was really neat well the the patient relationship with with those folks is a personal one when you're injured and you particularly i can't speak for every injury and every illness but with head injuries you are so vulnerable and compromised and delicate and in fear and just you know you're you're so scared for what what the future holds and they are doctors they are tasked to be specialists in physical therapy or uh, medicine, whatever it is. So Mickey has a team, and they all have a station and an expertise. And so you move from person to person during your visit, and they look at what's going on with you and decide what their particular 
part of the rehabilitation is going to involve. Uh, they have this job to, for example, the, re the physical uh, therapist will have a job to give you, you know, therapy to do and to take home, and here it is, and they, they have to do this job, but all of them at the same time have to be a psychologist and a, and a mental therapist, you know, because every time you sit down with somebody, you go through the whole spiel. You're like, I'm scared, I'm anxious, I'm scared this is going to be permanent, whatever, you, know, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you're, if you're talking to the eye guy or you're talking to the balance guy, if you're talking, you know, whoever you're talking to, you're like, oh my God, tell me this is going to be okay, you know, and all of them have to have this sort of parenting type of ability to, to coddle and say, hey, look, this is going to be fine, you're going to be okay, we're going to fix this. All of them have to have that ability, and they do. And so you, in in that interaction, I guess you you create these really really great bonds and and uh, obviously when you get healthy and you're ha happy, I mean, look at me, I'm I want to do anything I can to help Mickey, help his staff, and so when you see them, uh, you know, it's like seeing family. It's a weird it's a weird thing, but those are the positives that come out of such a such a difficult situation. And uh, but anyway, that was a great time. It was. I'm glad we went. We flew up there Friday, and then flew right back to Dover. And then Saturday, man, we uh, worked practices, watched a pretty interesting Xfinity race. Got to work the pit box a little bit. I had some fun doing that. Yeah, that's, you guys looked like you had a lot of fun. We we did. We were pretty pretty busy this past week. And during Saturday, an interesting thing happened. I bought an Oculus Go, and an Oculus Go is a virtual <laughs> reality headset, all right? And I've had one for a while that's plugged up to my computer, used it uh, for video games and so forth, but this Oculus Go is a standalone. You don't really need your phone. You don't need a computer. It does all the work for you. All you really need is a wireless connection, Wi-Fi. So it's like virtual reality. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're good to go. But usually, virt what, what, usually virtual reality headsets need a phone or something to plug into. They, they, they're just not portable. This thing is incredibly portable. Take it anywhere you want to go. And so I had it this weekend, and there's this app on there called Face Your Fears. And basically, it just kind of puts you in a lot of situations that would probably be very scary for pretty much anybody. And... You know, when you're, uh, there's this one where you're a little kid and you're, uh, you're laying in bed and it's your five-year-old or eight-year-old bedroom and, and middle of the night and everything's going crazy. Shelves or doors, drawers are opening, things are floating in there, crazy people are coming out of the closet. And so there's, uh, there's scenarios like that and you just sit there and go through them. They're about eight minutes long, ten minutes long. And each, each one of them, it's just kind of a scares the <laughs> out of you. And so I put it on mic. Because I was trying to tell Mike, I said, hey, you know, we do this TV show, we do the podcast, we're trying to create original content for Dirty Mo Media. Man, 360, 360 virtual reality. Camera, yeah. That kind of stuff something we may, may need to be looking into because I, with this Oculus Go, just made my mind start running about ideas and possibilities for us. And I'd never done it. He'd never done it. So I threw, I gave him the headset, Mike, and you can take it from there. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd never done it. I had no idea. You know, we've gone to South by Southwest, and they talk about all these things. I'd never actually put one of those Oculus on. And so when he goes, so come, come by the bus. I want you to show. I want you to see this. So I come by, and he puts that thing on. Me. <laughs> and uh, he, he takes me into this face your fears thing. And I you go into this You also flew thing. a plane. I did fly a plane. That was really cool. You know, I was in a dog fight, and I won. But anyways, the, 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 uh, the face your fears thing. So we put this video on our social because it was so funny. I didn't know Dale Jr. was rolling on me the whole time. How could I, right? 
I had the thing on my face. And so we, we were in this story where you're, you're in a bed and you're in this room, but all of a sudden you look and there's somebody looking at you in the, at, in the window. Now, I don't like that. I don't like people looking at me in the window. Face I, your fear. I, yeah, I, I, face I, fear. I, I, I shut those blinds every night at my, at my house. I don't like just the idea of an open window uh, where people can look in if they, sh- if they chose to. So now I got this little, I don't know, 10-year-old looking at me, creepy-looking 10-year-old looking at me through the window. I didn't like it. But he went away. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in my room. I'm in my bed. I can't get out of bed. You know, <laughs> it's not that real. And because uh, uh, this is the point, I'd have gone into another room. <laughs> so I'm still in the bed. And then all of a sudden, that little creepy 10-year-old, now he's in the room. I caught him out of the my eye. He's running, running across the room. A little creepy dude. And uh, I, but, but then, you know, after a while, I've seen him. I've spotted him. He's in the room. And then you hear this little voice. I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is getting a little real. All right, I don't like this. But then we went about two or three minutes, and I didn't see the kid. And, and I'm sitting there, and Dale Jr. finally speaks up. I hadn't heard him this whole time. And he goes, what's going on? And I was like, I, don't, I, I think there might be a glitch in the game. I don't, you know, I, I don't see anything happening anymore. I mean, I got the ceiling fan going. I got, you know, drawers will open and rattle a little bit, but I don't see anything. He's asking me questions. What's going on? I mean, is it froze? I said, I don't think it's froze. <laughs> I just, I think I, I think I might be done. I think I, I think I went through the whole thing. And I'm looking around, and you can see in our video on social, I'm kind of looking around and looking in the room and everything. Dale's talking to me, and then all of a sudden I look up. I look up, and that kid is right above my head, and he jumps at me. <laughs> he jumps at me. That kid, and he's got these really creepy, glowy eyes, and so he was right above my head, and he's like, yeah, and jumps at me. And, man, I threw that, I threw that headset <laughs> off so fast. I was like, it scared the crap out of me. I did. And to be honest with you, we cut the video short on social media because what happens after that? That's foul language. Yeah, there was foul language being thrown around. We couldn't have any of that. It was so creepy. It scared me to death. And yet, I thought it was awesome. It was so cool. I'd like I got to go Bobby one yeah. of these things. These Oculus, that's where it's at. Yeah. It was so neat. And then that's when I started playing the video games. But, man, is that Face Your Fear? You had told me a story about Amy. Yeah. I, was that this, the same thing? No. The, with the, I, I did the same, get through the same thing with Amy, but it was with the Oculus that I have hooked to my computer. And it's not... It's not the same, but okay. But did he same, fa- did he face reaction. his fears? Did you face your fears? Or you you threw the headset off, right? I had no so choice really to face it. It faced me. It was, it was <laughs> so, right above my head. Yeah, there's I'm like, like I can't even get any sleep in my room. There's I'm like trying a, to get. <laughs> there's like a dozen of those scenarios, and after you do one, you're kind of like, man, I really want to do another one, but I'm scared. That's yeah. right. Uh, and it's the weirdest thing because it's a it's. Th- that's right, because I'd not already, real, done, I'd already yeah. done a couple, and they didn't, fair, they didn't get me like that. I don't there know if one, I want to do it either. <laughs> there, was, there was one. The first one was there was a jack-in-the-box, and it jumped out at you, right? Yeah. Like, a, like a toy. And then there was another one where, like, if you're scared of clowns. I mean, some people oh, do not yeah, like clowns. Oh, yeah, there's people that don't like that. There was, like, that. a clown uh, baby doll that had fallen off, and all of a sudden it kind of becomes alive, and it's this really, you know, uh, creepy-looking yeah. clown. Those things don't do anything for me. But that boy, I tell you what, that that, that, old, boy lo- that, that old boy looking so, at me in the window yeah. did. <laughs> a couple other things this thing does that I thought was incredible. Um, there's an app on it called Wonder, and basically you can go all over the world and see pretty much, uh, per- see some pretty cool stuff, pyramids in Egypt, things like that. We have our, ki- our house down in Key West. I, I basically used Google Map and went down and stood in front of the house and, and looked around, looked up and down the street. And went, no way. Yeah, went to Key West to Ball Street and was looking around and... I mean, it's uh, that's neat. And if you had a beer in your hand, that would even be like, yeah, that would be pretty make that happen. <laughs> hey, now I will say this: I I've they, been with Dell a long time. 
been a long time at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't recall Dale laughing as hard as he did. <laughs> you were laughing oh, so hard great. at me. For, for for minutes on minutes, he just couldn't believe it. I was it. still watching that video like when I was going to bed that night. <laughs> it was so good. Uh, but the, th- the, the, the futures, there's no limit. There's no limit to what they can accomplish. Well, I told that. you this. I think that uh, what they say at South by Southwest is uh, exactly you'll be right. watching your Super Bowl yes. through the lens of a linebacker. Yeah, uh, coming up, you'll be that's play- incredible. You'll you'll start consuming Before, sporting events as a player. Yeah. In the next ten years, we're all going to have one of those three hundred and sixty headsets, and we'll be doing probably the majority of our, you know, viewer in, viewer entertainment through something like that. Watching a watching a TV show or a event concert sporting event on an eighty inch television will be not weird. Will be an old school yeah. idea. Yeah. What is that iPad thing? God, Dad, what is yeah, that? Tablets, oh, all that stuff. Yeah. Tablets, cell phones. The tablet's going to transform yeah. into basically a headset. you got to hold it. Everything oh will be shot in 360. Anyways. Yeah. That's cool, though. Yeah, I, we had a lot of fun with that. That was Saturday. Uh, if you want to see that video of Mike getting scared. <laughs> Just go watch because I saw it. It's funny as it's hell. It's on all our social media handles, Dirty Mode Media, <laughs> my personal handle. I want to see, after the show, I want to see the real version. Yeah. <laughs> Saturday night, late in the evening, Mike, Jimmy Johnson played a little prank on Cole Pern and the 78 Bunch. Cole Pern saw Jimmy riding his bike out on the highway on Saturday or Friday and said, hey, there's one thing you could do if you want to make it up to the guys for wrecking us in, in Charlotte. You can buy us all road bikes. So my, Jimmy went down to the local store and got the, got him a bunch of little kid bikes, <laughs> put it up on the put it up on the uh, the the tailgate of the, uh, the 18-wheeler, the hauler for the 78 team. In the cloak of darkness, which yeah. was the funniest thing. Yeah, of course. And so <laughs> those guys come into the garage in the morning, and everybody in the whole garage gets to enjoy the prank. Great job by Jimmy for, for being a smart prankster and lighthearted, good guy like everybody says. With that, it had me thinking, what are some <laughs> of the greatest pranks mm. that have been played in the garage? Mm. And so I, I uh, sent out a few text messages to some friends. Okay. And uh, Some research, yeah, this is good. I can't wait to hear this. A lot of uh, a lot of different stories came through. One common uh, name kept popping up with one particular man, uh, Henry Benfield. Oh my God! Right? Oh, and Mike, legend. We'll get we'll get to it, Mike. You've got a Henry Benfield oh story gosh. yourself. Yes. So you're going to hear Henry Benfield a lot, and we'll <laughs> explain to you who Henry Benfield is when we get to Mike's story. But uh, this is from uh, one of the Wallaces. I won't. Try to keep my tips and uh, my tipsters anonymous <laughs> as, as best I can. Yeah, but this Henry, deep background. yeah, deep background Henry Benfield. He was truck driver for Junior Johnson, and uh, he was sleeping in a. He used to play pranks all the time. Well, this time they've got the they got the prank on Henry. Oh, yeah. And so he was sleeping in a rental car during a rain delay at Dover, and they put an inner tube under his car, <laughs> hooked to an air hose, and pumped it up until it exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Oh, Boom. Man, I woke you up. That is a mean prank. That is. That's funny. As far as snakes, there's a lot of snake pranks. Yeah. Buddy Buddy Parrot, old old crew chief from back in the day, put a fake rattlesnake in the Port of John Oof. of the Phoenix Garage Oof. and had a lot of fun with that one day. Um, Henry Benfield, he put <laughs> X-Lax in brownies and gave them to people that he... That it pissed uh, him off. That's a Henry go-to prank right, right there. So Henry has done this on multiple occasions. This is probably illegal today and would probably land you in jail. <laughs> but 
I know that he – the rumor is he has done it to NASCAR officials. Yes. The rumor is that he has done it to track security. Yes. A couple of uh, – let's see. Anybody that's crossed him? Yep. Don't eat brownies from, don't from Benfield. Don't eat brownies don't eat or donuts, chocolate-covered donuts. Nothing. Don't take any food from Henry <laughs> Benfield. Uh, my dad put sardines in <gasps> the bottom underneath the seat of Rusty's car. Oh, that's and then, epic. And, yeah, and imagine those things cooking. Getting hot. Cooking at 100 and you know, 150, 180 degrees and having to deal with that all day. That is that is so rank. Chocolate <laughs> Myers from Dad's team bungee corded a Porta John closed at North Worldsboro with Dale Inman in it. <laughs> I wouldn't mess with that SOB. Yeah, Dale, don't mess with him. Chocolate had to hide from Dale Inman for about a month. <laughs> and Dale Inman was genu- genuinely upset. Yeah. Like like wanted to cause physical harm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Harold good. Scott, who was a who's an employee for Bud Moore. That uh, when my dad was driving for Bud Moore, was scared of snakes, and Dad would always keep a rubber snake around to throw into the car when Harold was in there working on it. And that would happen mm. quite often throughout a, throughout the season of 1982-83. Rusty said he taped a fifty dollar bill to my dad's roof. Oh, that's a superstition thing, yeah. isn't it? My what dad is, considered fifty. That. My dad considered fifty dollar bills really bad luck. Really, and Rusty was racing Dad for the championship, so he taped a fifty dollar bill to Dad's roof, and Dad jumped out of the car screaming like a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, because Dad and Rusty, uh, I think, were going back and forth with some pranks. The sardines under the seat, where Dad put sardines under Rusty's seat, was at a test in Phoenix, and it was hotter than hell. At that God. test, and Daryl Jarrett said it stunk like crazy. I wonder if he sent J.R. Rhodes to go get the can of sardines, and uh, and, and and without any explanation on what what he was intending to do with those cans. How Needham got a Shakespearean actor friend to walk <laughs> around the Charlotte garage, Wait, dressed, what? dressed as a voodoo doctor, placing <laughs> placing curses on cars. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. What? <laughs> Placing curses on cars. That would mess up everybody. Dad thought it was a trip. Dale Inman freaked the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dale Inman. He's Dale Inman a- went to NASCAR to have the guy ejected out of the garage. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. I have yeah. never heard that. So I wonder what the, guy, the heck the guy looked like. Too. I don't know. Rick Hendrick played a prank on his driver, Kenny Schrader and had decaled or painted on the back glass of the race car that he was looking for a driver <laughs> and had written down, the painted and, and detailed the salary that he was willing to pay. When Schrader walked into the garage and saw it, Schrader immediately thought it was a joke. He said, uh, thought it was really funny. I was like, Rick, that would have hurt my feelings if you oh, did yeah. that to me. And uh, also one time he had promised Schrader a, a, a truck. Have he got the pole? If he got the pole at Charlotte, he gets the pole. And so Rick went over and got the worst-looking used truck they could ha- they could find from the dealership uh, mm. used car lot and drove it over there and presented it to him. I'm dying to know if you've ever been pranked real bad. Uh, let me think. I uh, I didn't really spend a lot of time last night trying to think about my own career if I'd been pranked at all, but. I can't uh, think. Well, I did get pranked really good by it wasn't really at the racetrack or in the garage. Yeah, Topher. Yeah, the Topher prank was terrible. Topher worked on the race t- uh, another race team, and but he rented from me. If you rented from me and you were one of my friends, yeah, keep your doors locked because we would be up partying on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, and you know, two o'clock in the morning, we're kind of bored. 
run out of songs to play and things to do. And so we'd start going around people's houses and sneaking in there and pranking them. And so we got the idea that we would go into Topher's house and we were going to, I can't remember which came first, but we were, we had a gallon, we had a five gallon bucket of water and a pound of flour. And we threw the flour on him, then the water, or maybe the water first and then the flour. I can't remember which one first, but it just made an incredible, terrible mess, right? And he's trying to go to sleep. Try, he's asleep, trying to, you know, he's got to get up for work. So got him real good, pissed him off. He had a friend that, I had this girl I was dating, and uh, we're at my house. Well, he had a friend of his who, who had a wife that was pregnant, and he had the wife get a pregnancy test and mm. make it positive. Mm-hmm. He then took the pregnancy test and put it in my bathroom for me to find out in the open. So I came upstairs one day, come home from some th- something, and this girl I'm seeing is in the house, and I go upstairs to uh, the bathroom, and there's that positive positive test laying there. And, man, I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> so I come walking downstairs, and I, I'm, like, holding this thing, and I'm like, you could just tell me. Like, <laughs> you didn't need to do it this, this is, way. This is a not, just like not the way you do this. <laughs> I, I don't know what proper protocol is, but it ain't this. Yeah. It ain't leaving it in my bathroom. And I, I think she's, she didn't play along. I, I think that she knew that the joke was. Oh. She, oh, okay. She knew about the joke, but she didn't play along. She's like, that's not mine. You know, and then it was over. But, boy, for those few, <laughs> few mere short moments. Fucker. That is good. I was so mad. And uh but but yeah. I think uh That was a good one. I think one of the best ones. It's so, it's this is so so tough. But I took two thousand crickets and turned them loose in Josh Schneider's bedroom. But you own the house too, didn't you? Yeah, but who yeah, who cares? No 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 yeah, I'm not I ain't gonna clean it up. Right, it wasn't his house though. <laughs> so I mean these things just went these things were noisy as hell every night when he turned the lights out. He couldn't sleep for a week. Right. <laughs> and uh, so that was a good one. But anyways, good job, Jimmy. He, he, here's my yeah the he, Benfield. Oh story. yeah, yeah. Sorry. He, he he keeps talking about Henry Benfield. There's actually a yeah. couple things he kept mentioning. This happened at Phoenix. I was what was f- it about Phoenix? I don't yeah, know. Everybody's right? cranking. I, but I'll tell you what it was by this time. Desert. Listen to this. So Henry Benfield at the time was driving Jimmy Spencer's motor coach. I was working for Jimmy Spencer. We were at Phoenix, and it was actually in November, and it was kind of cold. Okay. And so we'd been practicing all day. We come in, and, and, and Henry's got a nice big spread of food he's cooked and those donuts. There's those big donuts, and they got chocolate on them. And, of course, Jimmy had never seen a donut that he didn't go right for, right? <laughs> I mean, like, he's going for the donuts. To be honest with you, I was too. Yeah. And Henry's like, I, 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 I would eat those donuts. And we were like, well, why not? There's X-Lax on them donuts. And we were like, what? As it turns out, this was back in Phoenix before there was a tunnel. Remember, you used to have to cross the, the, the track on the backstretch to get in and out. And Henry had been coming in, and there was like 20 minutes till practice started, and they already closed the gate. They wouldn't let him cross. He got mad. Went to Walmart, bought those big old donuts, had a plan. And he made that, put those X-Lacks on him, and we literally watched Henry go out and hand those things out to all the security guards. <laughs> and they're hoofing them. <laughs> boom, boom, like two at a time, just just down in them. And we were like, oh. and boy, you saw them drop like flies. Boom, taking off, boom, taking off, boom, taking off. All these security guards that did not let him cross. Henry comes back in the bus, and, and we were like, dude, that is so wrong what you're doing. And he goes, that, that ain't all. I p- p- padlocked all of those uh, Porta Johns. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he padlocked all the Porta Johns, except one. And he goes, 
that one over in the corner is uh, it's 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 open, but I doused gasoline all over the toilet paper. <laughs> it's like I don't even know what that. What is that? Ruthless man. What, what is that? Holy cow! He doused the toilet paper in the <laughs> one port of John that he left open with gasoline, and then the next morning was Sunday. Obviously. All of those guards were replaced. They were all they were all new people. <laughs> oh new people. God. That's when we realized Henry Benfield is not one to mess with. Yeah. No. I, he is ruthless. He would used to he used to put like ladies' undergarments in his buddies' suitcases. <laughs> knowing good and well that they don't do their laundry at home. Their wife does it. Jesus. That's ruthless. <laughs> that is ruthless. I'll tell you tell you what. Uh when you were telling this last one, it got me thinking Buddy, Buddy Baker, I miss him. You know, got to work with him in TNN and stuff, and he was the greatest storyteller I've ever been around. And I remember one time we were sitting there in a rain delay, and he told me a story that he was um, he was out somewhere, Daytona or somewhere, and obviously having a few uh, barley pops. And uh, they went back to the hotel, and one of the drivers, and I think I don't know if it was Curtis Turner or Weatherly, they I know there used to be a mountain cat, like a mountain lion that these guys had, like an actual mountain. No, I'm serious here. <laughs> So, Buddy told me that he was drunk as hell, and they, they got him, and he, they put him in his room, and he, he got undressed, and he said he was naked, and he was laying on top of his bed, and he couldn't go to sleep, and he's just sitting there. And then all of a sudden, he just felt like breath, and he stopped, and he was just like, oh no. and he looked, no. and you just saw these two eyes looking at him. Face your fears. <sighs> breathing on him, and he said he screamed like a girl and went running and went to the door and walk, ran out of the door. Naked, they were all out there because they knew knew it was going to happen. Naked as hell, they they put the mountain cat in his hotel room. Crazy. That that's <laughs> that's insane. I, I, you can't why? have fun like that anymore. No, you can't really scared, bring a mountain lion yeah. to to <laughs> hotel. No, no. So I get hurt. Right. <laughs> These days, you can get sued just for thinking about that idea. Yeah. All right. Well, Good stuff there. Yeah, Jam- Jimmy got him. Jimmy got him. Got him. Before we actually talk about the race, let's go to an Exalta update. This is your Exalta Race Center update. I'm Matthew Dillner. The monster reached out and bit many on NASCAR weekend. On Sunday, Chase Elliott survived Dover International Speedway and an overtime finish to score his second Cup Series win. The W punches the Dawsonville, Georgia driver's ticket into the next round of the playoffs. On Saturday, Christopher Bell rang the final bell of the opening round of the Xfinity Series playoffs with his sixth win of the season. He bested Cole Custer and Junior Motorsports top finisher Justin Allgaier. Those three drivers, plus Daniel Hemrick, Elliott Sadler, Tyler Reddick, and Austin Sindrick will all move on to the round of eight, which begins in two weeks at Kansas Speedway. Before Kansas, the rest of NASCAR will head this week to Alabama's Talladega Super Speedway. After their break, the Truck Series continues their playoffs this Saturday. Then on Sunday, the Cup Series goes pack racing with playoff implications on the high banks of Talladega. This has been your Exalta Race Center update. Exalta is the official paint partner of NASCAR, developing, manufacturing, and supplying coatings to all types of vehicles and industrial applications. For more on Exalta, please visit exaltacs.com. All right, guys, we got Pristine Auctions back as a sponsor for this podcast. Auctions are a way, are a fun way to shop, right? Heck yeah, dude. You know? 
auction is way funner. Yeah. Maybe it's the competition of the auction. Maybe yeah. it's the suspense of whether you're going to win the item. I don't know. Whatever it is. I, I like auctions. You do. You, you know, the great thing about Pristine is you don't have to research the nearest auction house, worry about what's going on. You, have to, you don't have to go there. You don't have to research their legitimacy and all those good things. With Pristine, you know you're going to get genuine items. They run different auction formats, including uh, multiple weekly auctions, a premier monthly auction, as well as a daily. And then they also have a 10-minute auction. I don't know what that's all about. We speed find auctions. Out. we, we got to find out. It's a speed really, auction. Th th that's about all i got time for. Yeah. I kind of like I kind of want to try one of those. Yeah. Now. Let's do it after yeah. the show. They guarantee, yeah. the, they guarantee the authenticity of every item. So if you purchase it, you know it's the real deal. It's not a fool. It's no joke. It's not, bull, it's not some forged autograph. Mm-mm. You're going to see on a lot of other sites that mm -hmm. I've seen. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of forgery out there. <laughs> this is the real deal. The items that you're buying are genuine. So that's good to know, right? Of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you don't want to be, you well, know, Well, that's not the best part. part. Right. That's, the best, that's part? the best part, then. What's the best part? The best part is so affordable. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, that's I great. just saw an autographed Ricky Stenhouse photo that only sold for six bucks. I mean, come on. Poor Ricky. <laughs> so check out Pristine Auctions now. You'll be hooked. It's free to register, free to bid, and you only pay for the items you win. That's Pristine Auctions, spelled P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E, auction.com. And when you register, be sure to select Dale Jr. Download Podcast from mm -hmm. the drop-down menu in the How Did You Hear About Us section. It lets them know that me, Mike, and Matthew sent you there for the auctions. Hey, a pristine read. Thanks, Pristine Auction, for supporting our podcast. Uh, I've actually signed for those guys. Great group. They sponsor Carson on her sprint car racing yeah, opportunity. Right. So there's a connection there as well. This isn't just some fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants Johnny-come-lately sponsor. We only had the finest of sponsors. That's it. <laughs> pristine <right>. Auctions. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about the race. Chase Elliott wins the race. Mm. Kevin Harvick dominated the race. I was standing there in the booth, and I had a great time from the start to the finish. The race, to me, was really interesting. We didn't have any cautions in the first stage, and I don't think we had one in the second stage either. All the drama or the real you know, wildness was always in the, it's, it's in the third stage. It is every week. And I knew that was coming. Uh, Steve said he didn't think it was going to go green all the way to the finish, and he was right. But Harvick gets out there and is dominating the race, leading up, you know, up front. Had to start the race by points, so you had all of the playoff guys in the top, you know, 12 there trying to get those stage points. And we're learning. I'm seeing the the playoff race. I'm seeing it from this vantage point. Now, when I was in the car over the last couple of years, I didn't notice some things. All right, what I'm noticing now is how important those stage finishes are mm -hmm. because guys will get 18, 20 points before the race is over with. It's crazy. And that is what's keeping those guys in the hunt and in position to be able to move into the next round. Those guys that don't have the playoff points, you know, it's really interesting to see who's racing who and how things are shuffling out to finish those stages. That's why the stages to me, even when it was a green flag run all the way through, that's why it's really interesting to me is to see who's going to make a mistake on pit road. That's going to take them out of that top 10 to get those stage points. Who's going to surge? Like Amarola, he surged up through there oh, and was gaining points while the other guys weren't. And the 42 of Larson had a rough day. Chase Elliott really wasn't having that great of a day. He had an issue with a loose, loose tire, uncontrolled tire on pit road that took him out of opportunity to gain a lot of points throughout the day. Um, but he ended up, he drove up through there and put himself in position to capitalize when a lot of guys started having trouble. 
Harvick had a problem on pit road. Actually, yeah, knocked a valve stem out of the tire and had to come back to pit road. Uh, got a lucky dog, ended up driving up back up to sixth place. You know, when Harvick had his trouble, put out Eric Almirola in position to try to, you know, finally win win a race this year. He's been put in that position before, and it just seems something different always takes him out of being able to be able to get that win. And uh, boy, it's it's tough to see that interview at the end of the race, see the disappointment in his face, in his voice. Uh, but they're they're still alive. Clint Boyer had a lot of trouble. He had failure, lower ball joint on the left front, from what I heard, broke and uh, put him in the fence, eventually taking him out of the race. But with everybody else having trouble, you know, he come, he flies home and gets off the plane and goes, hmm, it's not as bad as I thought because so many other people had problems that it c- still keeps him in the conversation. Because of that wreck that ensued on the restart, That's right? right. Yeah. So the only guy that I think is in real, real, real trouble is Alex Bowman, who – Really was driving as hard as he could all day long, making something out of nothing, and uh, was in position to maybe get a top ten when he was taken out uh, with that with that crash on the back straightaway. He is now several several points out of the top eight. He's going to have to win at the next two races to be able to advance, and he has the car at Talladega to win the race. He does. So that'll be interesting to see exactly how aggressive he's willing to get next weekend. Um, You've been in that position before. Yeah. He's going I mean, to Talladega. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to run the race of his life, and he's going to have to move, make every move with confidence, be assertive, work hard all day long. It's not going to come to him. He's going to have to go. To, he's going to have to go take it. Um, but the rest of the guys are all within striking distance of each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to going to Dega is going to be that's going to be a lot of fun <laughs> for you. Yeah, for now. me, yeah, because you're not in the seat anymore. <laughs> well, for if, for me. Anyone watching, anyone there, yeah, yeah, anyone tuning in, we've got the ghost points on the left side of the screen throughout the whole race. Which watching, is so helpful. Watching it's that so is good. so interesting. interesting. It is. It is. Even in the Xfinity race, you can see the ba- – it is so close. Yeah. These guys are racing so hard and they're bouncing all over the place. Yeah. Talladega is going to be insane. It is. I can't wait. I, you know, not only do I think I can describe what the guys are doing in the draft and why they're doing it, but just to watch this playoff round play out. And particularly at this race, where it's such a such an unknown, it's it's going to be a good time. I hate we have to wait till the weekend for it to happen. Um, can, can I ask you real quick? So if if you're in that position, you said he's going to have to go after it. We've known in Talladega, when you look at strategy at Talladega, there's I think there's two rules of of, of thought. One is lay in the back and let them crash out, and then go race at the, at the front. The other is try to lead every lap, yeah. stay in front of it. What what does Bowman do you think have to do? Is is laying in the back a, a real smart strategy? Hell to no. Do it? it just because you still can get caught in it, right? But just, look, Bowman basically has one hand left at the table, and he just has he has one hand to play. He doesn't get to keep playing unless he wins. Mm-hmm. All right, so he has to push all his chips into the middle of the table and go after. Just, yeah. just dig in. But like, yeah. I, I guess I'm talking about more about the the beginning and the middle stages of the race. How do you? Try if if your goal is you got to be there at the end. What's the best way to be there at the Lead end? Lead every lap. Lead every lap. Yeah. that's what you always get out did. front. Stay out front. I, I didn't always want. do that, but that's what I learned was the best scenario, best position to put yourself in. I've tried. We tried the laying back game. You can't do it because the field's too competitive. Yeah. When you when you want to make this, you know, planned move to the front, 
I mean, if it were that freaking easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. When you try to make this move to the front, well, you, what you find out is nobody knows who you are, why you're up there. You haven't been up there all day long. They don't trust you. They don't know what kind of car oh, you yeah. got. They don't want to help you because they don't know whether you can complete the moves or make the moves. What you have to do from the start of practice all the way through the weekend is go out there and prove to everyone on the racetrack that you have the superior car and that you are the guy that they need to jump on the train with. So when you go out there to make a move, they're going to go, I'm going with him. I've seen what he can do. Mm. And so if you're not there all day and then you show up, none of them guys want to work with you. They're sure. like, hey, get your ass back to the back where you've been all day. You're not coming up here and stealing a f***ing win from me. Yeah, it's like a weekend-long audition to yeah. earn people's trust, huh? Absolutely. So wow. I'm telling you, if after all that racing I've done all my career, I can tell you with confidence the best thing to do is to go out there with the mentality that you need to be leading every lap and do everything you can in every foot of the racetrack for every lap to try to make that happen, to try to make that a reality. It's not going to happen. You're not going to lead every lap, but your attitude has to be, I need to be leading. Winning stages for Alex, not a big deal. He needs to win the race. The points in the stages, not important. But the only way he can win the race, I think, is to be leading it from the start. And try or try to be leading it. Try to you got to work all day long to try to stay up in the top five, working real hard to be leading that race. I thought a good point that we were kind of chit chatting with the NBC guys on the plane is uh, if Bowman were to win that race, imagine the, uh, the now you basically have knocked one of the front runners, the season long front runners, out of the next round uh, because. Bowman is a wild card. Chase Elliott, was he a wild card? Yeah, Chase yeah, was he, not he, in the top eight yeah. in points coming into Dover. He wins the race. That now moves another player down into those that bottom four that really wasn't in there at the start of the day. Yeah. So, you know, that, that made it tough on two or three guys. Yeah, Kyle Larson, uh, Boyer, oh, all those yeah. type guys. Yeah, yeah. they got to watch out now. Boy, Dig is going to be insane. <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait to yeah. watch it. Yeah, they'll be tough. How about the Jimmy Johnson uh, guys? How about the issue with the ball joint there? I, you know, we talked about it on the opening of the show, how tough that racetrack is on equipment. The 14 broke a ball joint. The 48 broke a ball joint before the race started. That wear and tear starts from the time they unload the race car. One time we ran a race there and took the car home, and all of the whole package tray and the interior sheet metal of the car had been had been shaken, literally shaken loose from the roll bar. All the spot welds were broken. And so that's how violent that racetrack is. I, I, talked about, I, I mentioned it's like riding a skateboard on a sidewalk at 160 miles an hour. You know, so it's doing that for four hours. Yeah. And it's literally can vibrate and shake anything loose that's not securely mounted. I talked to some crew chiefs before the start of the race, and they say they take extra care in making sure the oil tank's secure and making sure all the driver comfort pieces and parts are secure, the cooler and things like that. and Because uh, it will literally just shake something loose and, and vibrate things apart. And uh, we saw plenty of uh, examples of that during the race. As much as I hate that concrete surface, I know I hate it. I wish they'd pave it. I think the racetrack would benefit from being an asphalt track. I think the show would benefit from being an asphalt track. But they've got such marketing in that monster, and the fact that they're a concrete, you know, it's a monster mile and a concrete track, they're never going to pave it. What? I'm, I know. 
They're never going to pay it. Well, it. It would be even more of a monster in my I opinion. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I never equated the concrete to the monster anyways, if that was the thing they were doing. But now that you mention it, I just, I, that's sort of how their, their monster kind of looks thinking, like a big concrete. Thinking, as, you know, just imagining how they, you know, how they would think from a corporate standpoint. They've just too invested in this monster, you know, Miles the Monster or whatever. And, uh, but you wouldn't have to get rid of that, man. I know you wouldn't. You could just spray paint his ass. <laughs> but my point is, is that as much as I hate the concrete surface, the fact that the track is as old as it is, the surface was put down in 1995. It's as we don't see many scenarios throughout the season where it really, really tests the machine. Mm. Now, the drivers are going through hell. 150 degrees at Chicago, 150 degrees at Darlington, humidity, Vegas. Vegas. The drivers are going through hell, and it's only going to get worse for them. Now, the cars, on the other hand, are getting tougher, getting stronger, getting more and more durable. Engines, parts, pieces, less and less parts failures, less engine failures. But Dover really test. puts it to the test, man. That's what I like about that place. I felt pretty good about the broadcast when we were done. Felt good about the race and the excitement we had. Can't wait for Talladega, man. Question. Yeah. What was more surprising? Kyle Larson not being a front runner during that race or Denny Hamlin not being able to pass Chase uh, Elliott with fresher tires. Larson for sure. Denny, the the race at the end really is about how who gets clear into turn one because the the air is so insensitive there with that concrete surface. So when Denny gets behind the nine, it's like turning a dial on the on the downforce of that of that eleven car for Denny. It's like turning the downforce down. Mm. As soon as the nine gets in front of him. You could just crank that downforce right out of that 11. And on that concrete surface with no downforce, he's just going to slide. So he wow. can only go so hard, and, and he's just not going to be able to make a pass. You saw it all day long. As soon as they, get, soon as they sort it out after, after caution or after a restart, wasn't a lot of passing. There was a little bit, but there wasn't a ton of passing, not a bunch of shuffling of the top 10, you know, and they get kind of spread out. Um, if that negates the tire advantage, were you – I guess – I thought, I mean, I thought the call for Chase to stay out was so ballsy, and yet, man, I mean, he took off. I mean, he, uh, it, it was a, a brilliant call, and maybe not nearly as ballsy as I thought it was, because if you're saying that the the downforce is negated, yeah. basically, uh, the, or the advantage, and the car out front has such an advantage, especially on a concrete surface. Yeah, yeah. interesting. And Kyle Larson just he he had the top three, top two times all weekend, and then just never really could break even into the top ten. They were best on five-lap average, 10-lap average, 15-lap average in practice. So that would tell you that they should have been great. He's so good there, usually. Well, he struggled. You'll have that in a big-time auto race. And he doesn't <laughs> have, you know, a lot of great statistics at Dega. Doesn't mean he can't go in there and not win. I mean, doesn't mean he can't win Dega. Sure. I am not counting anyone out. Yeah. Anyone can win Dega. It's going to be Kozlowski. I feel confident. Well, I, yeah, if, if there's favorites, it's certainly the Penske cars, the 12, 22, and the 2. Yeah. Those, those Fords of the Penske team have been dominant at the plate tracks. And you hear it in the confidence of the drivers, Joe Logano and Brad Keselowski, when you talk about Talladega, both of them say, I'm ready. Yeah. Not a lot of drivers are really excited <laughs> about that race. <laughs> those two guys are looking forward to it. Yeah, that'll tell you something. Yep. Your mental approach to these tracks, uh, that's, that's good for a tenth or two. You can't say that any better. The confidence – and mental approach. If you, I used, I struggled probably the first half of my career with specific racetracks because I hated them, and I would go to them going, "I hate this. I don't want to do this, but I gotta." Sonoma. And, 
we would end up having a terrible run. Darlington, Rockingham, Sonoma, I can name several that I did not want to go to and did not want to race on, and we would have a weekend because of it. So if you got a great attitude and the rest of the field has a bad attitude, that swings from one, you know, one end of the spectrum to the other, that's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You go out there with, 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 you know, with a positive attitude and you're excited and ready and looking forward to that race, you're going to make moves with confidence. With Talladega is all about making moves and making moves with confidence, making them quicker and before the guy around you that can make the same move. Everybody sees the line moving. Everybody sees it moving and says, I want to get in that line. It's going forward. So everybody tries to get in that line all at the same time. It's the guy who saw it first and the guy who knew it was about to happen that gets there. Mm. All right? Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, those two guys will be my favorites. All right, did you see that? Did you see that? We've got to talk about this fight, man, UFC. (laughs) Craziness. Oh, yes. All right, so there were two things there. A lot of people saw this. Derek Lewis interview. All right, so this guy (laughs) is fighting. He's fighting this really tall, tall, lanky Russian. And (laughs) Derek Lewis is just trying – the whole fight to hit him with this right hand. Pretty straightforward approach. Just going to hit him with this right hand. It's going to be over. So we, we're, everybody's watching and watching and watching, and the Russian is popping him in the face and hitting him around and beating him pretty good. Uh, but Derek Lewis still prodding forward, prodding forward. He's got that right hand. And if he can hit him one good time, it's going to be over. Gone. Well, it's going all the way to the end of the third round, 10 seconds left. You're thinking, man, you know, if, if this ends, the Russian's going to win. He's, he's, he's probably done, done, done the better job here. Boom. Finally. Derek Lewis connects with the right hand and laid him out and then proceeds to do uh, have the best uh, interview that I've ever seen uh, for a US, UFC fight, at least. He talks. He takes his pants off, Mike. And Did you see the interview, Mike? Joe Rogan goes okay. up and says, all right, man, first question, why did you take your pants off? My balls were hot. <laughs> Joe Rogan says, I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> And so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> if Gold Bond doesn't sponsor him now, forget about it. And then Joe Rogan says, Well, you're number two and you just won this fight. This is a great fight. This gotta put you in position for a title fight. And he goes, I ain't ready for no title fight because look at me, man, I'm tired. I need to get on the treadmill. <laughs> I need to get on the cardio plan. I'm not even close to being ready for no title fight. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Never heard anybody so say funny. that. Oh my yeah. god. So, great interview. And then Joe Rogan said that Derek Lewis has the best Instagram in the USC game, and I went and looked, and he does. Okay, very, I'll have very, to follow that. It's all videos and just funny shit. <laughs> all right, so then Conor McGregor fights Khabib. I don't even know how to say uh, Yeah, that's I, a long, ju- I just say Khabib. A long, long name. But So, uh, 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 Conor wasn't the favorite. Right. All right, and so they go into the fight. Khabib, you know, is doing a great job. Got on, t- got on top of him and was beating the shit out of him in the first round, and then... Uh, using his ground grappling to stay on top of Connor and keep the pressure on Connor. And yeah, Connor was having a tough time and getting frustrated. And then eventually it really got to be similar to the, the Diaz fight that he lost. Whereas he's on the ground a lot and he's being controlled a lot in the, in the, uh, on the ground. And it's starting to get more and more frustrating for him. And he put himself in a compromised position and lost with a rear naked choke, which is pretty much the same, same move that Diaz beat him with. After that, though, which I, that outcome was what I had expected. After that, Khabib jumps over the rail 
to go after somebody, I guess, in Connor's camp. His teammate or one of yeah. one of yeah. one of Khabib's teammates jumps the rail to go into the ring and and knocks the hell out of Connor. I think he shook Connor up. Yeah, and uh, well, he from behind, he sucker puncher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I never saw a good shot of it, but it. Uh, anyways, all that cra- craziness going on. Everybody was in. Uh, everybody was up in arms about that. I really didn't think it was that big of a deal. Really, really. Yeah. Even Mike Tyson chimed up and said something about it, like he'd never seen anything like that. And this is talking about a guy that bit a freaking guy's ear off. I know. So, <laughs> why did you not think it was much a big deal? All right, I've, me and you have been to boxing matches. We have. In in one at one boxing match in particular, I think in a span of about thirty minutes, we saw five different fights in the in the stands. Mm-hmm. I mean, feet for feet from us. That's the environment. You know, that's the energy. That's the aura in the building, right? Is that there's some there's conf- conflict, there's in, there's, there's an aura, there's, aura there's, of tension and conflict, and just and it's about to pop off any and, minute. And, and intoxication. Yes, and beer <laughs> and this, it's just a recipe that's it's a, it's a dangerous game. <laughs> right. Right. It's a, it's a little weird. All right. So you feel that when you go to a boxing match. You know, so when I was a little kid and I'd watch wrestling on TV, what do you do? You grab a pillow, start mimicking oh, yeah. what you see, right? Well, when you're in a boxing match, watch guys beat <laughs> each other, and somebody starts mounting off of you, what's your first thing? What's the first thing that comes to mind? I really want to pop this guy in the face. Well, some people do it, <laughs> all right? And so it, it just, it's a recipe for, for that type of thing, and you have to be careful. And, and, and I know that UFC and, and boxing organizations do the best they can to make it a great experience for anybody who buys a ticket. But I, I, you can feel that tension that something could go wrong at any minute. And so when it happened, I wasn't all that surprised because the UFC is a violent game. And the guys that get in there to do that, imagine the mentality you need to have to want to get in the ring and almost bare knuckle beat the shit out of somebody. Mm -hmm. That is a special person Mm -hmm. that has, you know, has a certain way about life and a certain view. It just, to me, I wasn't that surprised. I'm like, these guys are fighters. That's what they do. It was perpetuated because of Connor going after those guys at the bus and all that, yeah, going this, to jail. This, and this goes back. This is six a long, months. yeah. And yeah. so this violence and and sort of no holds barred lawlessness has kind of been perpetuated for months. And when the guy jumped the rail and went after somebody on Connor's team or whatever that was being a smartass, wasn't surprised by it because it's sort of been ongoing and yeah, it's been simmering almost. The- you know, I, I'd said before the fight, you and I had been talking about it, and I had uh, just watched the press conference from a few days before, and I had said, this is this is such an act. Conor McGregor's act is starting to get old. I, I, I can expect him just to come in there and act like that the, uh, the fighter is the most hated person in the world, yeah. but this is all a game. And I stand corrected <laughs> because that is not uh, an act. It seems that, to be real. That, in this case particularly, uh, they hated each other. Yeah. And now I know because, frankly, now I got the full, the full scope of the animosity that had been building. And uh, I thought Conor McGregor held himself with class after that race. Uh, after that race. After Good the, grief. Yeah, after after the, the fight. fight. But the fact is is that uh, I, I, I did think it was a big deal. And I, uh, what I can't go wrap my head around is – the common thinking would be this is great for UFC. We get this a lot of NASCAR. You know, the, the people that would say you got to have the Rex to make the NASCAR entertaining. Yep. And and yet Dana White was saying 
no, this was a complete joke. This is not who we are. This is terrible for our sport. Sure. This is embarrassing for me. I've been working 18 years to build a brand. This is not what I want it to be. And everybody's like, even in the press conference, I don't know if you watched Dana White's press conference, but they were like, Dana, this feels like a good thing. I mean, you had as many viewers as you've ever had for a UFC fight watching, and this is going to take the headlines. And he's like, no, I don't agree with that. I don't know where I net out on that, by the way. I don't know if yeah. that's a good thing for UFC. I, I can kind of see well, both ways. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad he's not embracing it. From a fan point of view, there needs to be – it makes me feel good knowing that there's some sensible heads at the top that are looking down on this going, we can't let this get become the norm. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this can't be what every UFC fight is about, and, and we've got to have a little control here. That makes me feel good. When I say – when I say that I didn't think it was a big deal, what I mean is I, it was definitely a big deal in, in the sense of I was very worried that Khabib could be suspended, could lose the belt that he yeah, holds. they're talking could, about that. I, I was very worried that this guy that had worked so hard to just beat one of the best in the business had just jeopardized everything that he had accomplished in a mere – just in the moment. That sucked. Uh, what I mean as far as is it a big deal going forward for UFC? No. I think it's awesome. Like you say, I mean, they're going to have more and more pe- If they have a rematch, more people are going to buy that one than bought this one. I'm not a USC guy. And you're going to buy it. And I was just like, what the yeah. hell? It was chaos. Yeah. I think that it's smart to have that sentiment and that verbiage and language out there from, from Dana White that, hey, I don't. this is not what we're about. I think that's great. I want to hear that, and I'm glad he's saying it. But on the other side, they – and they don't – you know what was interesting is as soon as all that started going down, the cameras pulled back. They said, we're not going to promote – this well, is not you, what we're about. We're not promoting this. We're not going to promote this. That was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, get up in there close. I, exactly. I want to see what's going on. Their, their uh, conviction to say this is not what we're going to promote yeah. I thought was really f-ing cool. I know, right? I yeah. couldn't believe it. I yeah. could not believe it. And, and Dillner, just to explain, this stuff happened. As soon as he jumped over the railing to go into the crowd – the camera went as wide as you could possibly go yeah. on the entire the arena. Like down here. On the arena. And the guy and you says. You cannot make out what's going on, yeah. really. And the guy said, this ain't what the USC is about. We ain't promoting this. And, and it was a decision. And it was a split-second decision. I mean, like, it was like, nope. So think about out. that. Yes. Think about that from the mindset of a TV producer. Yeah. That's right. the opposite of what you normally would do. Well, think That's about incredible. what's happening in the producing truck. Yes. What's happening from the USC to producing truck to the camera guy to the, the analyst. All that happened in a split second. Yeah. Backing out, not promoting it. Tell them not promote. Tell them we're not promoting. You make a, you know, you comment that we're not promoting it, and all that happened so quickly. Um, and they were they were unified in that whole thing. It was yeah, ama- that was amazing. Yeah, that was the amazing. Unification between Joe Rogan saying this is a black eye on the sport as it's happening, the camera going wide <laughs> as it's happening. Yeah, that was impressive as hell. <laughs> the, the best shots of that are people with their phones. I mean, like the, yeah, you saw yeah. on social media afterwards. Yeah, good. That's well, a good point. Yeah, it, it would have been a big damn deal. In a bad way, in a negative way, had some had somebody gotten severely injured by that ruckus outside the ring. Mm. The guy jumping in the ring to hit Connor, he should be ejected, suspended, never allowed back into the sport. Damn straight. That type of action, you can't have that going on. I don't care whether you're a fighter or a fan or whatever. They, you know, you you got to take that and set an example now that we're not going to allow it and put the guy on the sidelines for good. Seems like if you say that, then you got to take. Khabib and, and give him the same severe type punishment for going out of the ring after someone. What they do is what they do. I just feel bad for the guy because I, you know, I you got to know he worked so hard to be able to beat one of the best. 
you got to know how much you got to imagine think about how much he put into it and to risk it all and it be all for nothing would be a terrible story a wonder, tragedy almost i wonder if he regrets it now now that he slept on i wonder if he regrets it. he did not regret it regret it in, in the, the press moment. conference in his press conference in the ring he was trying he was trying really hard to explain to somebody his reasoning for going out there and you couldn't understand it or, or make sense of what he was trying to do. But he it's like he wanted his belt. Yeah. You know, and Dana White's like, I'm not giving you your belt. You won't make it out of here. Yeah. Right. But none of us, you know, want yeah. to see you get the belt right here because the fans going to go crazy. But he was seemed to be trying to give a good, what he thought was an excellent reason for jumping out of the ring. Did he talk about that in the post-conference? Here's what he said in his pre- – he did not take questions. It was a very short thing. But what he said – Everybody's talking about me jumping in the ring, and I don't understand why we're not also talking about what the guy was say, has been saying, both McGregor and his camp, about my religion, about my family. For, for months, I've been enduring, and I've not said anything. I know that everybody's want to focus on me jumping out of the ring, but you guys don't focus on what has led up to this. And they've been going at my family and my, my religion, both of which are in- incredibly important to me. This sport is about respect. It's not about disrespect. It should be about respecting the other people, and there's things that are off ba- off limits. And when you're promoting or when you're doing this, and he went off limits. He hit below the belt repeatedly and repeatedly, and I took it, I took it, I took it, I took it. And that's apparently what the guy outside the ring was still doing in that moment because if you remember, as soon as McGregor tapped, Khabib really kind of let that outlet of emotion go in the moment at, at McGregor. Yeah. He so yelled at him. at him, he shouted at him, and then he – and then when he came up, he suit, he made eye contact with that dude on the outside. He throws his mouthpiece at him, and then something was said. And that's I think that it, it was more of the stuff that he considers out of bounds, and he just lost it. Yeah. And so I thought it was an interesting thing. He didn't take questions. It does not validate a, a the decision to go jump out of the crowd. You just can't have that. He didn't try to make that okay he just simply said that's not all there was to this story sure yeah i, I assume there wasn't i yeah. assume there was way more to it to make i wanted to really know and i think a lot of people do what it was that triggered him to jump out of that ring that's our did you see that we're going to move on to the ask junior it's time for ask junior i got, I got, I got a question you have a question for me hit us up on twitter using the hashtag ask junior all right, Ask Junior presented by Nationwide, our good friends at Nationwide, of course, at Nationwide Children's Hospital and Dale's deal recently with a home fire drill 120. People chiming in with questions from all over the internet. Hashtag Ask Junior. Uh, Jeremy, this is you, you pick on me for these unusual questions every week lately, but this one's as <laughs> unusual as I've heard of a Jeremy recent question. Jeremy Spoken, the podcast yes, today. <laughs> That's well, good. Well I, there's been no better setup for a question. Junior, you mentioned the spark, that there's a spark maybe needed in the sport on this podcast. His, he says, my question is, why can't we run the tracks in the opposite direction? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> I have never even heard that. Suggestion. I've never. It was so odd that I'm like, I'm putting it in there just to get that reaction right there. Has that been, like, <laughs> when you think about all the crazy promoters I'm not in the even world, has anybody no, even d- no. thought to do that? No, that's not. Even the craziest of crazy <laughs> You're promoters. giving it too much time, Mike. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Next. Sean Elliott, what's your all-time favorite helmet design, and what made it so special? Yeah, so, all right, I'll tell the story. It's about Kenny Irwin. Rest in peace. But I was with Kenny Irwin. I was 16 years old. 
we were sitting on pit wall at Sharpmere Speedway, and we had been invited to drive in the fast track driving school. I was uh, I was sitting on wall. I had this helmet with me. It was just white, and Kenny Irwin had this helmet with him, and it was really nice and painted up. And this guy come, and one of the guys that was also at the school, another driver, walked over and bumped Kenny's helmet, knocked it off pit wall onto the ground. Kenny picked it up, and it was a big chip in it, oh. and he was pissed. And I was, like, watching all this go down, and I'm like, man. I never thought about it, but I'd always wanted this badass paint scheme on my helmet, and I see all these other guys with one, see Kenny's helmet, and I'm thinking, man, that sucks if you get a chip like that. Here comes my career. I start racing in Xfinity Series and raced in 98, 99 Cup Series and got me some badass helmets painted, right? And I kept chipping them. And when they paint these helmets, they put a lot of time into them, and they put a lot of layers on it and stuff. It's easy to chip. I'm getting more and more frustrated because these cool helmets are getting, like, chipped up, but I don't. You know, because you bang them around in the in the car, taking them off in the roll bars and, you know, all that stuff, these open face helmets. And so I just went to carbon fiber and black. I said, I'm done. I'm done worrying about my helmet being chipped. It's uh, like, I need to focus on my car. Why am I worried about this badass paint scheme and all this helmet stuff? And, not, and I'm just, I need to think about my car. So give me a black helmet from here on out. And I told the guy that painted my helmets, I said, look, I'm going to plain helmets, but... You do whatever you want on the back, whatever you want. And he used to paint backdrops for Guns, Guns N' Roses concerts and other people. And so he started painting skulls on it and stuff like that. Nick, yeah. And uh, Truex and me had the same guy, and we could pretty much get the same thing. we get a black helmet and paint a skull on the back. And as it got further and further into my, you know, the last couple of years of my career, he started getting a little more creative, putting some more designs on it and stuff like that. But I pretty much just left it up to him. If I think about my favorite paint, my, my, my favorite helmets, it's definitely those first few that he put all that time in and painted the whole thing and the ones that I was so worried about scratching and nicking and busting up. I've got the Xfinity helmet that I used in 1999, and, you know, those are probably the ones that are most precious to me. All right. Uh, actually, no, let me skip that one. Uh-oh. Must have been a stupid question that you thought was cool when it's hit the moment. And how stupid <laughs> yeah. must it be? Yeah, that he's skipping it now. Or that he's skipping it. This one's, okay, you know what? I'm going to go with a stupid one since you're oh, all picking boom. on me. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Hey, because I want you to de- debunk this if this is not yeah. true. Yeah. Okay? Aaron chimes in and says, do you remember the time that you and Tony Stewart skipped practice at Bristol to attend a Kid Rock concert in West Virginia? We never skipped practice. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, it's debunked now. Yeah. No, Tony Jr., Tony Sr. would not have allowed that. Would have whooped your butt. Me and, Tony, uh, me and Tony Stewart did go to a concert. I think it was either Thursday night or Friday night of a Bristol race weekend, but we didn't skip any yeah, practices. Aaron, what are you talking about, Aaron? Yeah. No, I'm glad you asked it. That's it, good. That was a good that's Well, it was on the internet. We, we, we want to debunk that yeah. crap. So, uh, All right, one last one here. This one's pretty good, actually. This is uh, Joe chiming in. This is weeks ago, and I figured with Talladega coming, this is a perfect time to bring this one up. Have you, Junior, ever sneezed during a race? Sure. And if so, how did you handle it? Because she nearly drives off the road when it happens. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good question. Is it? Yeah, I think it is. I've yeah, man. Okay. I've actually always thought that. Is. When I sneeze, it's a sneeze, and it just, we just carry on. There's people, though, that do violently sneeze. I have no idea how you sneeze, uh, but there's something. That it, it could be yeah. a driving hazard. I don't remember sneezing a lot yeah. as a race car driver, but it's happened at times, I'm sure. Boy, at Talladega. But at Talladega, man, if you're a three-wide, <laughs> like, I, I sneeze pretty hard, and I hold them in. My wife gets mad yeah. at me for that. And I couldn't imagine if I, I think, had a big old sneeze. Well, I think that during three-wide competition at Talladega that your body mentally shuts down some activities, and sneezing is one of them. Like, you don't sneeze. You never will. In the moment, you're never going to sneeze. 
Because your body is that focused. Yep. I need to see scientific proof on that one. <laughs> okay. Tell me if you've ever seen a Olympic sprinter sneeze in the middle of a sprint or a marathon jogger sneeze in the middle of the Boston Marathon or anyone where you a football player sneeze in the middle of a 80-yard touchdown catch. I can't think of one. You're right. Yeah. So in those moments when your mind is mentally focused on something so much, it you're, those things will not happen. Graham Cano didn't sneeze. He kicked that 63-year-old, no, 63-yard field goal, and <laughs> boom, 63-year-old. Good try. It, 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 yeah. Like the field goal, it was a great effort there, he kicked Matthew. It back, he kicked it back in 1950, and it's still it just it's now still right. Going. It's a 63-year-old field goal. I thought he was going to kick a 63-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds uh, terrible. Uh, screw it. White flag. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. White flag. Kicking as a 63-year-old man would be more points than three. You know, you get more points for that. Yeah, All right, here we go. terrible, Mike. It is. <laughs> uh, we are one week away from the official release of the book, Racing to the Finish. In fact, those uh, that have pre-ordered, we've noticed on social media, are starting oh, no! to get them. They're starting to get them. What did we leave out, leave out? Oh, my God. I just read something in the white flag. I can't wait till you get to it. So you were talking about the book? I was. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happened? Nothing. No, we'll get nothing, to it in a minute. Nothing. So you're talking about the book. Okay, I guess I th- I'm not exactly sure what you're talking We were talking about a book. Yep. A book, Racing to the Finish. It is releasing next week. Uh, and for next week's podcast, by the way, we're going to have Ryan McGee on. Uh, oh, here. yeah. So, That's going to so, be cool. Yeah, that'd be fun. McGee uh, co-wrote this book with Dale Jr. That will be fun. Um, as Dale mentioned earlier in the show, on Tuesday, October 16th, the same day the book drops, uh, uh, watch Rachel Ray's show. We've already talked about the uh, coolness of that. Uh, Junior, this week you're taking ownership of your brand-new 2019 Chevy Silverado. Yeah, yes. Even making a road trip out of it. Well, I'm going to drive it home from the ta- from Talladega. I'm getting it from buying it from my dealership down in Tallahassee. we got a Chevy store and a Cadillac store in Tallahassee. Buying a truck there, they're going to bring it up to Dega for me, and I'll drive home. And everybody listening right now is going to be like, dude, you own the dealership. Why don't you just get it for free? That's not how, that's not that's how, how this life, works. That's not how it works. Or we're get it buy, shipped up or something. I have to buy the car. Everything if I want to own it. Everything has a price. I'm buying it, yeah. Uh, so maybe this is what you were just getting excited about. Right now, as this podcast drops out, uh, you can go to YouTube right now and watch The Return. It's a behind yeah! the scenes. Finally, I get to see it. Candid documentation of Dale Jr.'s weekend back <laughs> behind the wheel. Uh, and by the way, a little insider information, he damn near won the race. Oof. You know what I'm well, saying? Led a lot of laps. You damn near I, won the race. I didn't. If I finished yeah. fourth or fifth. Fourth. That's fourth. not damn near winning. Caution. The caution bit you. you yeah. all right. That caution it didn't felt, come out. It felt a whole lot different from inside the car. Well, that you would say that. It's a lot of fun. I'm telling you, you almost won. The only place you can find this video is on Dirty Mo Media's YouTube page. Subscribe to it now. And lastly, I will say, because I know Dell Jr. would have no intention of saying this, but somebody in this room has a birthday this week. And so I want me oh, and yeah. Gunner to be the first to wish you a happy birthday. Hey, this old week. man. And, and I hope 44. You, you finally get your gap in me a little bit. How How is your 44th? Any good? <laughs> I'm not 44. I'm 41. <laughs> Mike's the youngest person in this room. He's got the most gray hair of anybody. I know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it does. It's true. Tell me how your 44th goes. He's got the goes. most gray hair and the oldest style haircut. He's got <laughs> yeah, he does have that kind of like wafty little thing yeah. going up top. Every, I, I, hey, I was born with it. What am I going to do? I can't do anything about it. I just, just like you're born with it. that perfect set of chompers. I mean, right. There's some things that are great, some things that are flawed. I had Mike's haircut has always reminded me of the sun in the Munsters. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Is that right? Like with That's the, what it the reminds you of. The original. Of all does the he things. Have, does he have that? The original Monsters. It's probably It does. He does have a little point. Yes. I yeah. never noticed that. All right. <laughs> now, now, now I have a new thing for y'all to pick on. <laughs> I was, by the way, I started this conversation. I'm like, wishing this idiot a happy birthday. This I idiot. take it back. Not a happy birthday for you. <laughs> I hope it's a sad birthday for you. Sad birthday. Oh, no birthdays no. for you. <laughs> right. No birthday for a whole year. You know, this week is a nice, clean week with no work. I'm going to put work on this week for you. <laughs> <laughs> Emails at 6 a.m. every hour. Dillner's not switching uh, the studio <laughs> up at all. I'm serious. Hey, no. Happy birthday, bud. Thanks. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy your week. <laughs> off whatever you're doing with family. I know you you deserve it because you've been away from them a lot. Uh, you've been uh, talking to Isla through a phone a lot the past few days. <laughs> That's uh, pathetic. I got to wake her get... up this morning. Greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah, so, she, she, all right, everybody, she could talk. All right, everybody's always asked me how Isla is and what she's doing. So this morning, I, I mean, you go away for two days, and you come back, and you swear like they've learned some major <laughs> yes. stuff right. in just like 48 hours. So. I go and I put her on a changing table and I'm changing her diaper and she grabbed my elbow and was yeah. like, and looking at me. And I'm like, hey, she knows the first time she's ever grabbed me. Like, oh, really? Yeah. I was like, holy cow. She grabbed me. You learned how to do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then I had one of their wipes. You know, I got a wipe and I had one in my hand and, I was, and she's starting to grab the wipe. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? That's new. She's yeah. grabbing. She's just grabbing for just things. Just starting to grab. Boy, that's going to, yeah, yeah. Man, she, I was she's so starting, she's, excited. She's exploring and she's yes. curious now. Of I was so her. freaking floored when she did that because I haven't seen her for three days and she just started doing that while I was gone. And then when I picked her up and put her on, uh, when I carry her, I carry her like this. And I was carrying her downstairs and she reached and grabbed me on the face. Oh, yeah. And grabbed my neck and was rubbing my neck <laughs> and touching me like this because I've been talking to her in FaceTime forever and she's right. like, you're real. Right. She'd never done that before. Like, reach out and grab and touch you and feel your face. Oh, my God. Good for you. Oh, man. That's a birthday present. That's all you need right Dude, there. Dude, I was, like, melted. Good. She did that. I can't wait. I'm going back home right now. No wonder you're in a really good mood when you came in here, there even though it's early. Well, <sighs> I'll put you there. Fellas, I'll put you there. Hey, uh, we, we'll end this on a high note by saying happy birthday to Dale. Thank you. Uh, thank you for all your work. I mean, we've been busting our butt on this video, and there's been long hours and some early mornings. The return. There. He get, he, uh, Dillner is running on not Dunkin' Donuts, and that's a, a change for him. first for so, a show. So you're doing great. But thank you, guys, and look for that video. <laughs> it's out on YouTube right now. Go check it out. It's a lot of fun. Take care, guys. See you. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.